refugees. <laughs> and New Year's refugees. It's a blast, but boy, I tell you, I partied a little hard this time. <laughs> Too many people, and oh man, I'm tired a little bit, but I'm, I'm picking up steam. Now I get to the end of January, I'll be all right again, right? And uh, we got all kinds of things ahead of us. Uh, our Wednesday night classes start. One thing I wanted to make mention of, it, which she made mention of already, is we just have this wonderful equipping ministry that we do. We try to do it all year long. And one of the things I try to do especially is to meet all the new people, people that are newer to us. And you might be been here a few months or maybe a few days. And uh, it's a time when I, I, I'm on Wednesday night here. I, I'm in the sanctuary, so I have my class called Life in the Spirit. And uh, if you don't know where else to land, you can land there. And, and, um, and so I just tell you about our church, and we do show and tell. We not only tell, but we show. We minister, and we have these wonderful other classes that we do as well. It's sort of a springboard into all of our ministries and equipping ministries. And also I wanted to highlight one more thing. There was a relational seminar I mentioned there. I, I think that um, there's not very many more important uh, things in really walking with God right now, and I say especially in our region, than learning relational skills, being healed from bad relationships, uh, just uh, learning how to uh, have a great marriage, great family, good relationship with your kids. It's actually a skill and an ability that's developed through knowledge and understanding and uh, through walking with Jesus. And uh, many of us suffer from uh, relationships that are just a little bit stressed or strained or like absolutely dead. I can say it that way. And uh, it's just important that we learn to learn to connect with one another in a real way and even heal one another. I think we're very much a part of the healing process, especially from bad things that have happened. So sort of like God with skin on, you know, God does it that way. He arranges that way. He, he uses us to help other people uh, get well and get better uh, in all kinds of dimensions and areas, everything from your marriage to your children to drug addictions, you name it, right? So this is another thing that's really high on our list, I think, uh, I'd say we could say safely that our area is a little bit relationally fractured, wouldn't you say that? I mean, wow, uh, we, we, we've taken it to new heights in this uh, Orange County area, man, I'm telling you. But uh, we also have taken new heights healing for it and restoration. And so it's very important to us that we not only uh, have you, help you have an encounter with the supernatural God, but also let him heal you and deliver you and help you strengthen your relationships, especially those that you love the most. So. All right, so uh, you should all have an outline by now. It should say in the top of it, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, poor in spirit just means humble. It probably has a little bit more dimension than that, but basically it just means blessed are those that are humble, blessed are those that have been humbled, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, which is sort of a dichotomy, because when you're humble, you don't feel too powerful, do you? Which is exactly the point. Jesus wants to be powerful through you. And uh, as a matter of fact, as we pray for each other and we move in supernatural ministry, you know, we don't feel supernatural ourselves. A good sign is I don't feel very supernatural right now praying for you, especially if you have a severe illness. But God is the supernatural. And in our weakness, he comes. That's why he said, blessed are the humble, because actually if you're the humble and you're willing to take a step out, uh, that's when the power comes, right? We always think that it has to be when you're feeling great and you're, blah, you know, and all that. But it's actually the opposite. And I think John Wimber was really good at that, uh, uh, dialing down and uh, letting the Lord be Lord, right, and not adding any hamburger helper onto it, right, <laughs> to help it be better, you know, um, because the Spirit does what the Spirit does. And sometimes he's pretty crazy. He really is. And then you have to let that happen too, right? And then the other side of it is sometimes he's not doing uh, much overtly, but something covertly, so you have to let him do that. So it's all this 
wonderful walk in the Spirit. And I believe one of the keys to it is humility. Being willing to walk with this humility and let God be God is really takes you some very interesting directions. It's not so much closing up, it's letting God, right? And uh, even when God wants to be a little rambunctious or crazy at times, wants to, maybe he wants to be really radical, right? You let God be radical or as quiet, as beautiful or rowdy as he wants to be, right? I think our church is about that. Our church is really about freedom. So this, this church, I mean, this verse is really of great meaning to me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So who are the poor in spirit, and what did Jesus mean by the kingdom of heaven? Well, that word kingdom is the uh, Greek word basileia. It's a term describing the authority of God manifesting through acts of God's power. And I want to add this important thing through God's power and compassion. So that's the kingdom of God, the basileia, the rule of God. And it always comes through his power and through his compassion. There's dimensions of revelation as well. But it's really important that we understand that connection, right? The poor in spirit and the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So the humility that we experience, the humility that God gives, and the authority and the great grandeur of the kingdom of heaven go together in a very unique uh, combination. So if you look at hey, the kingdom, Basileia of God or heaven, is a term describing the authority of God manifesting through acts of power and compassion. So we just look at a couple of verses like Matthew 6.10. Jesus taught us to pray. He also taught us to absolutely pray. Matter of fact, prayer is one of your lifelines to heaven. God listens when you pray. So he said, here's some suggestions. So he gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer, right? And here's one of the dimensions of it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're asking the authority of God to come. So we actually did those first two verses, parts of the Lord's Prayer here today. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. When we are worshiping like that, we were just declaring God's hallowedness, his holiness. We were worshiping. It's a worship pastor. It's a declaration of God's goodness and mercy. It's a, 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 like we did, just hear through those beautiful words and those be that beautiful melodies. Aren't you glad we get to do the hallowed be your name thing through um, uh, beautiful melodies and beautiful music and spirit? Could you feel the presence of God in the worship? It's just, that's just nothing more. And uh, actually, I'll say it that way. It's... It's just so amazing. I don't want to say nothing more. It is the presence of God visiting us. And it's, I don't, it's just beautiful. I mean, I think most of us probably came, most of all, uh, to this service thinking, you know, I hope that the Spirit's good. I hope this, the worship's great. I want to worship the Most High God, right? And I, I know that because that's why I come, right? Because <laughs> if it's not good and it never really is bad, uh, I would just be disappointed, so disappointed. I don't think I can very speak very well, you know. I don't, you know who cares, you know. Because that's where God shows up, like, in a unique way. Hopefully through my message, he shows up. But we all know that when the worship is in that certain place like it was today, and usually is, God's there, right? So then it's interesting. But then the next verse says something interesting. It translates that, like we did today, it translates that worship into action. Then we declare, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we gave room then for the kingdom. Kingdom means rule or authority. Let your authority come in. Only, only Jesus' authority can heal a person, can deliver a person, can wipe away uh, a problem in a moment. I'm very confident some of you are going to go home this week and you're going to find out that that problem that you were dealing with today is greatly reduced simply because you just said, your kingdom come. And you did a little worship before, right? It is the formula and I mean that in every sense of the best way, right?
or the way God has us live our life out. Isn't it amazing how he just put this simple thing in there, but when empowered by the Spirit, these words come alive. Your kingdom comes. So we're asking the kingdom authority to heal and deliver. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then you can go to the next verse. Give us this day our daily bread and, and, and so on, right? So uh, the kingdom of God is a, or heaven is a term describing the authority that manifesting through acts of God's power and compassion. And so... Um, your kingdom come as one part of that. If you look at Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses uh, uh, 13 to 14, I want to read these verses. Uh, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by a place, uh, drew by boat privately to a solid place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Now, this is something I'm learning a lot about. Whenever I feel the compassion for something, or someone, especially for someone, I know I'm on. I know I'm right square in the will of God. And that compassion is growing in me. I can feel it. And one of the reasons why it's growing in me and all of us is we learn to cultivate that part. In other words, oh, that was nice. Jesus loves me this, I know, for the Bible tells me so. No, no, I'm talking about compassion. And uh, we make a great deal of what we call the Father's love or the love of Jesus here because it's a supernatural impartation. And when that compassion comes, it, it's remarkable And how the voice of God amplifies in you. You can hear his voice. It's so funny because the key to it is feeling loved. And worship helps that. As well as just, I've had some of the strangest uh, times with God's love in some of the worst places I've ever been in, you know. And all of a sudden, God's love shows up, and, I'm, and I literally have told God, how are you doing this? I feel terrible. I feel, I'm mad. How are you doing this? And literally, I can feel the, and it doesn't happen very often when I'm mad or angry, because I'm usually wrong, mad for the wrong reasons. But still, when I'm just out of sorts, I can remember even as a young man, I didn't even know what to call it. Uh, all I could say to him, and I've told you this story before, maybe some of you heard me say it, one time I was working in the bottle of McDonald's, like I was 16 years old, crummy job. I didn't even get to be out in front there having me move the meat down in the basement of the crazy restaurant. You know, I was just, you know, I was so upset. You know, this guy is freezing. I was freezing my tail off down there and everything. You know, I'm the only one down and just moving. You know, I didn't get to flip the hamburgers or at least greet the customers or some of those other glorious McDonald's jobs, you know. But I, <laughs> and so I'm down there, and all of a sudden, I felt, this is before I had ever heard of, that the Father could come this way, the love of God come. I felt the compassion of God. I felt the mercy of God in the room. It was so tangible. I felt the love filled that hamburger room. I mean, that place where all the hamburgers were stored. In this basement, I'm feeling the love of God. And I literally said out loud like five times, How are you doing this? I feel terrible. I feel love. How are you getting in through me? How, where, how, do, you, how do you do that? I'm saying that because I'm feeling the love of God. I mean, all through the room, you know. And I've had other times like that where I was, you know, just the breakthrough of compassion. Okay, so look, Jesus lands, he sees a large crowd, and it says he had compassion on them and healed their sick. What a, that's the highest motive that we have for praying for people. Not another notch on our belt, not a look at me, you know, God's anointing's on me, but you just can't help it, you know. Um, I was just praying for a couple of people before even we got to that prayer part and during the worship. I just, 
I don't know, and I've, I've learned my sure sign that I'm supposed to pray for somebody. I don't care if it's in McDonald's. I don't care if it's on the street. I don't care if it's in a store. I don't care if it's on the beach. I don't care if it's in here. When I feel that, that's my go-to. That's when I go. I know that I'm supposed to do something or at least pray for a person. And sometimes I just just have the courage. I, I, you know, it's just compelling to feel that, right? So Jesus he saw, he had compassion on them. Then he says he healed their sick. So that was the next step. He has the compassion, right? That's how the kingdom comes. The authority of God manifesting through acts of God's power and compassion, often those two are related and often our signal that we're on. If it's in a department store or when we're hard at work in our yard or wherever we are, right? So two kinds of poverty or poor, poor in spirit seem to pull on the heart of God. Part of uh, that poverty is poverty of spirit. Uh, humility, we could call that, right? And uh, we see that passage in we can read James chapter 4, uh, verse 6. But he gives us more grace, as why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. That's why we look at blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. See, where that spirit of humility comes, when we're walking in that space that God brings, then power also is not very far behind. That's why sometimes we get confused. Sometimes we feel totally inadequate to But actually, you're in a great place because you're humble. I think the biggest errors are made in evangelism when you're arrogant. You know what I mean? But when you're humble, you know, it's just, that's the time. That's when God does his best stuff, right? Because he opposed the property, shows favor to the humble. So this poor in spirit thing is directly related to signs, wonders, and miracles, what we would call uh, power. And it's so uh, incredibly important uh, for us to uh, understand that, right? And uh, I just uh, I've become to understand that more and more poverty of circumstances is another thing. A sickness, no money, great need, right? We see the kingdom of God comes, you know, like, we, let's, let's read the, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses 7, 8. So I'm trying to establish this connection between humility and, and, and God. And, uh, of course, God giving grace to the humble is one of the best scriptures. But you see this all through the scriptures. Matthew 10, 7 and 8. Look how Jesus organizes this, this whole thing. How he begins the whole process. Even these uh, disciples, it's just amazing. He didn't just pick anybody, but these fisher people. You know, these people are fishing. And, and ordinary folks, really, peasants, really, no one to admire. Which gives us great license ourselves. Sometimes we feel powerful. Sometimes we don't feel powerful. Sometimes we just know we're downright not powerful and haven't seen power or felt grace in a long time. But look, it's the upside-down kingdom. If you're in that place, you actually are a prime candidate for mercy and a prime candidate for releasing grace to other people, right? Matthew 10, 7 and 8. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. So he's telling the 12 these instructions. He's sending them out on their first trip. Out you go, you know. And as you go, is near. Hey, God's here right now, right? And then that's kind of like I did here in the service. God's here right now to do this, right? And then heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have lepers. I mean, wait, 
Did I say raise the dead? I did. I did say that. Did Jesus say that? Yes. So this thing we're talking about with regard to the breadth of it is pretty dynamic. Wow. Heal the sick with I mean, he's giving ordinary people this commission. Ordinary fishermen. So the thing is, we have to make the step into is he's still dealing with very ordinary people. That's the whole beauty of it. It's not just that, oh, we're so great because we realize everybody plays. Okay, cool. Everybody gets to play. But no, the beauty of it is when you don't feel nothing, when you feel empty, when you feel like you're not qualified, you're on. He takes the weakness and he makes it strong. And in the end of the weakness, who gets the glory? Jesus. <laughs> I laid my hands on people before, you know, my hand on them, you know, didn't feel a spiritual bone in my body. And then they say they're well, and I'm so shocked. Are you sure? I always do that. Are you sure? Test it out. <laughs> so they'll test my pictures because I can't believe I didn't feel a spiritual bone in my body, and they got healed. They got delivered. Or I said something that was meaningful. You know, I give a prophetic word, and then I ask them, is that right? <laughs> they say, oh, yeah, you can't imagine. Oh, man, that's amazing. I, I can't believe I did that. You know, they said, what? I said, oh, I don't know. It's just, I, I'm as surprised as you are, you know. So this place is uh, such a place to guard. It's a place to guard because I think sometimes, especially in a media-driven world, we have just these sort of opposite with regard to signs and wonders and miracles and people dress funny and they act funny and they sound funny. They're not normal people, right? And they're kind of Hollywoodish. and oh man, I just don't think that most of the stuff happens there. It looks good on TV, but in ordinary life, the greatest things are you witnessing your neighbor, your friend, scared to death to pray for that sick friend of the office and you do it and something happens and you're as shocked as anyone. But God likes it. That's why this happens more than we know. That's why we need to embrace the stepping out in faith more than we know. And even when we just haven't seen anybody healed and we've done it 15 times in a row, do it 16. You never know if the 16 is going to be the time. And just think about this way. God, just working on your humility a little bit so he gets the glory the next time it happens, right? latest edition of Chosen. They, I don't know how many have seen that. It's just great. And it's so funny because he, he, he gets them. He says, okay, you guys are going to go out two by two. And they look on their faces. They are absolutely terrified. They are absolutely overwhelmed, shocked. You mean, what? What? I'm going to go. Then he signs them. I'm going, where? you got to be kidding. I mean, they're just like, they're walking in the whole story and the way they're negotiating this thing, two by two, you know. And that's why it's good to go two by two because one maybe can be strong while the other one's weak and then the other one's strong and the other one's weak, you know. But it's a beautiful way that the Lord has done this. And that's why we've got to be so careful to stay out of the other territory because in the end of this kind of lifestyle, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the authority. At the end of it, guess who gets the glory? God and his son Jesus. And we stay out of that proud place, the very proud place that sent the devil to be the devil. <laughs> so glorious in his glory, so wondrous you know, in the power that he rebelled, thought he could go against the 
King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God had given him so much authority. So we got to stay out of that place and stay in this weak place, weak place. And most of us have no problem being weak. <laughs> it's just a step out into strength when we feel so unequipped, right? It seems that the kingdom, this is B3 in your eye, works through the weakness, compassion of the person releasing the miracles and the weakness of the one receiving the miracles. If you look at Matthew 9, uh, Verses 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the villages, towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, I love this part, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So he sees the need and he wants to use us. And so he says, one of the things that we should be praying for is, Lord, send us. Use us out in the harvest field. And the beauty of the harvest field is this. You touch people that nobody else does. You're in businesses that nobody else in this room is in. You're in areas of education, maybe in school. You, you're in territory where nobody else is, right? It might be with working with children. It might be working with adults. You might be working with business associates. You're in interesting territory when you're out in the world, even in your own neighborhood. You live in a space, space where Probably no other people live in our church, right? Or maybe no believers believe, uh, live for, for all that matter. So you're important right where you are. And so he sends these workers out. So I don't want the workers to be few. We want in our church to, the workers to be a lot, not a lot of workers. But not like, the, you know, if we, we do Hollywood out of it and we like, da-da-da-da, beat the drum, da-da-da-da, and have the special thing. Okay, go, you know, here I go and all this. And no, just everyday life, everyday life, that's when you're on. That's how you get sent. You, you volunteer, right? Jesus commissions you. You don't have to have a special commissioning ceremony. And sometimes even the way we train does us in. Training is important, if nothing else, just to get a bunch of people in the room and give some testimony and say, hey, I did it, so can you. That's probably the most viable training. And then also maybe a few hints, maybe some things to look for, maybe some ways. But actually most of our training consists of just let Jesus be Jesus and look for what he's doing and uh, be humble. And you're already humble pretty much, you know, most of us. Uh, but, you know, right? So it's not too difficult of training. As a matter of fact, you don't see a big training seminar here. We don't see much of that at all. All we, all we just see is out they go. And I'm, I'm sure they're as shocked as anybody. I, I know they were. And we are too, right? And so uh, Mark uh, 5, 24 to 34. Let's, let's read those verses. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. So if you look at three there, it seems the kingdom works most powerfully through the weakness of the person releasing the miracles, but also the weakness of the one receiving the miracle. So you don't have to do anything special other than be humble. <laughs> and you've probably already been humbled by your disease or sickness to get healing. As a matter of fact, it's preferable. You don't have to hold your mouth a certain way. You don't have to hold your hands a certain way. Matter of fact, just be you and just come up here and look ridiculous like all the rest of us, right? You know, I don't know what it is about church, but people definitely do not like to be conspicuous, and the ones that do are the dangerous ones. You know, for the most part, we don't want to be conspicuous. We don't want to be, you know, visible, especially when it has to do with our own weakness or our healing or actually God using us to do something amazing like this. I don't want to be on stage. I don't want to be there, right? That's a normal thing, but we can make that work for us, right? But on, on the other side 
of this whole thing of the equation with regard to what we need in terms of healing. Look, look at this. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman who, had, who uh, was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. I love this story. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. You know? So here's the thing. She's unclean. She shouldn't be touching anyone. It was against Jewish law for her to touch anyone. She should have been in that crowd hanging out. It's like she had a gigantic case of COVID. <laughs> Put it in our terms, right? She shouldn't have been near. She should have had her whatever, you know, isolation room space and everything, right? But she touches his clothes. So by touching him in Jewish law, she defiled him, making it so that he would need to have to go wash his clothes and get all cleansed, right? She was literally defiling him, right? So he says, she thinks, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, she just realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples asked, and yet you, can, you ask, who touched me? Okay, isn't it interesting? This is a touch of faith. He, he reached out. But the funny thing is, all of us need this touch of faith to the Lord. But the amazing thing is, we sort of think of that if we're going to have this touch of faith, we have to hold our face right, or faith, you know, just our faces right, or come to the right person, maybe like the head guy, the head pastor, or somebody that maybe knows a little bit. Oh man, you are so wrong in this. Don't do that. Because sometimes God has the lowliest person, the person you would never expect, and they would call themselves the lowliest person. I pray and nobody ever gets well. <laughs> Right? Sometimes God sends you to that person and you're that person. So between your lowliness and their lowliness, something amazing happens. Why? Because the scripture says God gives grace to the humble. So this is the upside down kingdom, the way this supernatural power works. Right? So the only one that gets the glory for it is God. And we know for sure that God did it, right? And yet it seems that like if the pastor touches you or somebody special touches you, you know, that I'll be okay, right? And I suppose from time to time there are people who actually uh, move in a little different level of anointing. But nevertheless, the principle is the same because they're only in one place at one time and maybe they don't even see healing constantly. But in the whole body of believers, God takes his dancing hand and just dances all around. Hey, I'll use him now. I'll do it over here, over there. And who gets the glory at the end of the day? No person. God. Oh, God visited today. Wasn't it amazing? Right? And so the, his disciples say this, you see the people crowding against you, and you ask, who touched me? Okay, that's so incredibly interesting to me. I've been fascinated with this subject. A touch of desperation and humility just pulls on the heart of God. When you cry out to him, you ask him for anything, you pray for him, or pray that you could have grace for another person even in desperation, Right? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. So this woman's touch was different. It was a touch of faith, right? Somehow she touched him and it was different. It wasn't just everybody crowding. Somebody touched him, but it was a touch that drew supernatural power. And it's so weird. It's almost like it drew it out of him automatically. It's like it just had to come. Wow. Have you seen the weakness of this, the, the glory of this? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Who are the poor in spirit, right? So we're explaining that right right now. 
But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, now listen to this, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. That's why when you guys were vulnerable today and many of you came up to the front, one of the reasons why we ask people to come to the front is not because we're so great and we're up here and you're out there. It's because that little walk that some of you took, those 15 or 20 steps, might have been the hardest steps for probably half of you you've taken in a long time. So I don't want to come up there. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But that's the whole point. She just thought, well, maybe I'll take a chance. So they took a chance. Reaches out and grabs him. Now, people are pushing all around him, but something about that touch was different than everybody else's touch because it was humble and heartfelt. It was faith because she knew the moment she touched him, she was defiling him, and they would have to go through this whole ritual cleansing, and she thought, oh, no, they found me out. But she was so desperate. She just had to have somebody help her, and so she defiles him by touching him, but Jesus, thankfully, doesn't care. Much to her amazement, she, probably, she thought, man, probably when, when he did that, uh-oh, I am so busted. <laughs> right? I am so busted. So look at this. I have this on B3 at the end. Listen to this. Both sides are poor in spirit. Jesus, humble. right? He didn't put on airs. And his disciples, humble. He sends them out to do the work. These ordinary people, these ordinary fishermen, ordinary uh, people that are in the culture. Oh, on the other side is this uh, humility of the person to come and grasp and to touch Jesus. And to me, it's just the whole, who gets the glory out of this? It's the wonderful majesty and beauty of Jesus through the whole thing. So you see how uniquely we need each other, how uniquely we're packing, (laughs) so to speak. We're carrying something, right? Not because we're so great, but precisely because we know Jesus, the Spirit's inside of us. And because in that space, when we take a step of faith, God loves to do glorious things, right? All right. So, Roman number one, who are the poor in spirit, and what did Jesus mean by the kingdom of heaven? And so, I want to just say that again. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is a term describing the authority of God manifesting through the acts of power God's power and compassion. So it's, it describes God's authority coming through the likes of you and me. So look at Roman numeral two. Welcome to the Jesus School of Ministry. So ministering the miracles of God by faith and weakness was a huge part of that school. And if we look at Luke chapter nine, we see it even more dramatically here. As Jesus is training these disciples to walk in it, it, it took a while. They had to be around him and get the feeling of how he did things and what was important to God. He was always modeling how God really works, how God does things, right? And uh, so these verses are so powerful. When Jesus, because there, there are verses. When Jesus had gathered the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, this is the amazing part, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt, you think he's trying to say something here? I want you to be as weak as you possibly can. <laughs> so you know without a shadow of a doubt that you didn't do this for the money, and it's not about you, and it's not about your authority or power. It's about my power working through you, right? And also, it's about my provision. I'll take care of you. You just take care of my kingdom. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave. 
If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went, set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. I love that verse so much. And healing people everywhere. This is extremely important for us. This is our commission too. This didn't die with the apostles. This has passed, been passed down generation after generation. The church at times and even centuries has lost this, right? And I tell you, if you go to my life in the spirit class, we can trace back when these emphases began to come back to the church. And since that time, right around the turn of the 20th century, big time, around the world, a major move of God happened. We've heard of Azusa, but on the other side of the ocean was, it was happening in England as well. Two amazing touchdowns of the Spirit. And from that time, all the way in this last, these last hundred years or more, there's been an unparalleled move of God in the nations. And every year that goes by, every month that goes by, it gets stronger and stronger. And the hallmark of this is the signs and the wonders and the miracles. This is what we prove all the time. You've heard a brother that was up here that I've been working with for now well over 20 years. James Rebavarapu was here. I was so tickled to see him up here. And so what you might not know is, and I think most of you know when he was here, I think we mentioned it, but he oversees now 30,000 churches. That's all sprung up in the last two decades. And it's always the same. People, we just send them out. We just send them out. Village, Hindu village, Muslim village, we just send them out. We just send them out. And with almost no equipping other than they know Jesus, they're filled with the Spirit, fine. This village knows absolutely nothing about Jesus, so you already know more than they do. Don't worry. And we'll equip you along the way, but we don't have time for you to go to a big fancy school, spend a couple of years learning why you can't do this. We're sending you now. Go now. Go now. Right? And that's what we do. And it's just... And it evidently is India's time, this billion-person country and that entire area of the world beyond India and Pakistan and all that surrounding region, its region. But the way it's being done is this same way. We just send them, and we send them two by two. And we, they go out, right? And they start with a, a, cell, a cell, a little cell, and they plant three at a time, cells at a time, right? And one becomes the mother anchor church, and we do this week after week, month after month over the last 20 years. We're seeing the most amazing move of God. Maybe if uh, we go a few, little bit more, it may be the most amazing move of God that has been uh, in a long time. Maybe under one roof, especially, uh, meaning that under one apostolic authority. It's just remarkable. And it's always the same. And so we don't tell those new believers, those new guys that go out, they might be only a few months old in the Lord, but they're way ahead of a pagan population that has never had Jesus, never doesn't know anything, doesn't know literally they're right from their left. And the power works. And we disciple them as they go along. <laughs> we don't ruin it with school. We do a little training, then we do a lot of training along the way. And there's trainers that cross-train and come through. Keep training, keep training, keep training. You know, make sure no heresy springs up, that kind of thing. But it's the most amazing thing. So this thing is still alive on a level that Jesus foresaw when he said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world, and then the end come. This is the time. And it started in about the 20th century, both in the Protestant and the Catholic Church. I mean, the beginning of the 20th century, both in the Catholic and the Protestant Church with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's moving in the Catholic Church. You would be surprised and shocked to know that there are, there's movement in the Catholic Church on a level they have never seen before. They have actually embraced the whole charismatic wing, Pentecostal wing of the church. They didn't know what to do with it, but they saw that these people that got filled with the Holy Spirit made really great Catholics. So what they did was they made a whole separate uh, um, division 
of Catholicism and it's the charismatic Pentecostal churches, including one of your Supreme Court judge, judges is a part of that. That's where they came from. They named this thing a name that doesn't sound very Catholic, but it's a Catholic church. Charismatic Pentecostal, filled with the Spirit, pray for the sick church. That's one of our Supreme Court justices. I'm not sure how widely that's known, but it's true. Amazing how God's working. Working in places, high places and low places. Strange, isn't it? So anyway, uh, getting back to this, let's read uh, 10 to 17. When the apostles returned from this trip, they reported Jesus what they had done. Then he took then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, You know, send this crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages, you know, because uh, they don't got any food. They need to find food and lodging because we're in this really remote place. Isn't it interesting? Jesus did this in this remote place. He was always in remote places because the towns couldn't handle him, and the people came anyway. You give them something to eat, they answered. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he said, they, they gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Can you imagine what those disciples are thinking in their brain? What in the world are you doing, Jesus? We only got a few, <laughs> and what are we going to do? I mean, can you imagine? There's thousands of people, and he gives them a few loaves and some bread. Here, you take one, you take one, you take one, and out they go. And it's multiplied. Oh, my. These lessons are so incredibly important. And guess who gets the glory out of all this? Who, who gets the glory? Who, who, who gets it? God, Jesus, they know it. Everybody knows it. This can't happen, especially those disciples knew it, right? Sometimes we don't connect the dots when we get in, in an impoverished place. We forget what God has done for us and through us in the past. Matthew 16, verses 5 to 12. Okay, so listen to this. They've gone through this whole thing. Oh, how we forget. And here's evidence, right? We have something done for us, and it was meant for the benefit of others. We have something done through us, and it was meant for the benefit of others, for the encouragement of others, for others to know, hey, you can do it too. It was meant for a couple of reasons, for the person to get well, but also let it be known that you don't have to be fancy or great, that God wants to use everybody. He wants this army to reach out. He wants everybody plays. Everybody's doing the work, right? So as we look at this... Uh, uh, Scripture here, uh, where am I here? Matthew 16, 5 to 12. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to bring to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. <laughs> Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, you little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not get it? Do you still not understand? You remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you do not understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Oh, 
Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in the bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These guys in their own hands had seen the bread multiply. Yet when they just have a little bit in their boat, they figure that was for some other great event or some great thing, but that, that God wouldn't be that faithful to little old them to their own life. How is it that we don't make connection even in our own life for God's provision? We watch all this thing happen, but somehow we can't draw the connection to our own life, our own experience, even our own church. It's got to be a gigantic meeting where the guy with the names there or the gal with the names there, and certainly those names and anointings are there present, but oh, the beauty of the body of Christ, blessed of the poor, the humble, for theirs is the authority of God. Kingdom means authority. That's where the authority is. That's where God wants the authority to rest. You can't stamp out an army like that. That's why in these distant places where these people get equipped, they become packing, so to speak, armed and dangerous in places in Africa, places in Asia, all across the world. You may stamp out the political outside forms, but these people going door to door like we are in India, praying for the sick, seeing the dead raised. I told you story after story. One of my favorite stories, I just, I just actually go to India sometimes just to get full of stories, right, you know? I told you that my, my famous story, it's one of my favorite stories out of India when the guy was in the village and he couldn't get anybody converted for six months and then all of a sudden they threw this woman in front of him who was dead and said, all right, if Jesus raised from the dead, raise her from the dead. You know, and if he didn't raise her from the dead, it would have been really bad for him. But he just, in all the fear and trembling he had, he just prayed for her and she came back from the dead. Well, there was no problem conversion after that, right? No problem with anybody coming to Christ after that. The glory of God. And so from that moment, after six months of no converts, he filled that entire county with churches, the gigantic district with churches, right? Oh, again, this amazing thing. Welcome to the Jesus School of Ministry. Now look at it. Roman number three. Consider the ministry of the early church. The early church began with the preaching of an unschooled disciple whose first sermon after Pentecost started like this. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. This is the first sermon that is ever preached. All right, you know the glory of the church over 2,000 years. You would expect that it would be a little fancier than that. <laughs> And the first thing he says, the first thing that Peter says out of his mouth, you guys, I, I can explain this. Uh, <clears throat> so first of all, I'd like to say, this is the very first Christian sermon. Uh, I'd like to say, uh, these guys aren't drunk. <laughs> now, if you were God, I mean, if I were God, I wouldn't start the church like that. Start with, uh, well, first of all, I'd like to say these guys aren't drunk. Is, uh, uh, you know, but uh, actually, they've been filled with the Spirit. It's just like it says. Uh, it's only nine in the morning after all, right? And this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days. God says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my Spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. And there's just this dynamic shift, a cataclysmic thing. The shift is, it's no longer major prophet here, major prophet there, occasional manifestation of glory here when Elisha comes or the next guy comes or Elijah or whoever it happens to be. It's now about all of us. It's about the pouring out of the Spirit on all flesh. It started then and it continues to this very day. And so churches like ours, increasingly churches around the world, we have to take this calling, this embrace, embrace this. That we are the ones, if there's anything happen in the kingdom, in this area, it's we're the ones that bring it. 
That's why we take so much time training and encouraging. Our training just basically consists my class called Life in the Spirit, which I'm starting in a couple of weeks. Invite anybody who wants to come. You know, this isn't like a how-to class like, you know, okay, and if you just hold your mouth right, and if you remember this. There's a few things like that, but basically it's, you know what, you can do it. So I just spend like 10 or 11 weeks pepping you up, you know, just telling you, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. The life isn't in the class. I mean, other than actually when we start doing things, I actually, they get filled with the Spirit and they actually start prophesying that they, many of them have never prophesied. And we do that kind of stuff. But, but the thing is, the, the glory in the whole thing is just, I just spend like all those weeks just trying to tell them, you can do it, man, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. It's like one big long pep talk. You can do it. That's the, that class. If you want to know what that class is about, Life in the Spirit, I get to know you and then I say, you can do it. <laughs> That's it. So... You already have the class right there. That's, that's the material. Then I just take you all the places in the Bible while, like I'm doing today, why that is so, right? Notice again in the beginning of the church, God's heart for unselfish and generosity connected to great power. So it's so important. Uh, uh, Romans, I mean, Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 5. Look, look at this thing. All the believers were one in mind and heart. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Now, okay, so this is very, very important. I'm going to draw this. So always as this gospel began to come, it was a gospel for the poor and the weak. First, Anybody's welcome, but they're the ones that took them up on it because that's the way it is in all the world. This is good news to the poor. Yeah. That actually God will sustain my needs. God can actually heal my body, right? I don't even have the money to go to a doctor. I don't know how God's going to provide. You mean if I ask him, he'll provide for me financially? So when we go to the big mission school that I've been to, you know, School of World Mission, they teach you, one of the first things they teach you about the gospel is when the gospel roots in an area... Some dynamic things happen, but one of them is financial lift. There's always a lift. There's always a financial lift. That congregation, that group of believers can be exist for maybe 20 or 30 years, but always at the end of 20 years, there's a lift in their finances. And it's not just because people gave them money. It's because they learn the dynamics of the kingdom and the God prospers them, right? So they teach it. They literally teach it. Wherever the gospel goes, there's a financial lift. So we give them the gospel, then we're also giving them the ability to make money because God will prosper them themselves. So God's grace was so powerful at work in them and there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, look, look at this generosity thing. And let, me, let me just say that the thing about it is that the generosity that we're experiencing here, it's, it's dynamic not only because these people are making huge sacrifices, but also, can I just tell you this? You cannot outgive God. So it looks like a person here, so from time to time, those who owned land for houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, this is when revival comes, you know? But before revival, we can take advantage of this principle. So do you think, well, well they just sold it, and that was the end of it? No, because the Scripture also says, give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You cannot outgive God. So this thing we call in mission circles redemption and lift is exactly what happens. And the more you give, the more you get. It's the upside-down kingdom. Everything's backwards. The humble heal and the humble prosper. They just do it. They give their life away. 
and it happens. It's just a matter of time, may take a couple of decades before a whole community begins to experience, you'll begin to notice. We've already seen it in Cambodia, various villages where we've been over the last, last 20 years. The people that are Christians, they begin to prosper. They get an idea for a business. They begin to do this, they begin to do that. It's just the way it works. Our system, our government, and the way that we uh, have prospered is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's because of the community of believers, no matter what anybody says. They owe Jesus, and they owe Christianity everything because it's from this basis, this place, that we've become a blessing to the whole world. Not just us, but all believers everywhere. And it can happen in Africa or Latin America. We see in these little pockets, it's the most amazing thing. You watch it over a period of 20 or 30 years, right? You see you know, them starting businesses, doing things, having ideas, creative thoughts. They have prayer. They actually pray, and God answers their prayer. Oh, Lord, I want to sell this and open this, this area. Lord, open that door for me. Lord, give me some money so I can start this business. Help me with that customer. And God answers. Redemption and lift, right? It's just an amazing principle. I, I, I'm so amazed with that. It's just a matter of uh, generations before it begins to permeate entire cultures. The same exact thing that's been permeated in our culture for many, many years, right? All right, so this generosity is, from the very beginning, we see this in the life of the church. They put the apostles' paid, which distributed anyone who had need. <laughs> we don't have to have a mercy warehouse. You get to have a mercy warehouse. You don't have to give. You get to give. I am telling you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. If you get ornery and you get like, okay, God, Where's my stuff, you know? Just let it develop. Let him come. He'll shock you at the most amazing moment. You can't outgive God. As a church, the church that cares for the poor, oh my gosh, you can't keep the floodgates of heaven come every which way. You can't keep them down. Don't feel sorry for us for all the things that we have to do and all the sacrifice we make, blah, blah. <laughs> There's a little in the beginning, but I know where this is going. And by the way, it's going there pretty fast. It's crazy what's going on with us. This COVID thing was the best thing we ever happened to us. Well, everybody else was hiding in the corner. We were out there receiving everybody else's stuff that the Salvation Army didn't want, and everybody else was. Then they discovered us, and it's been crazy ever since. You know why we stayed open? Because we had people to feed. I'm going to stop feeding because of we, just, we had people. We had stuff to do. And so people just gave us stuff. And we're out there, you know, in the middle of the night, carting this stuff around and all this because all, everything was closed for a few weeks. Everybody that normally takes, like, Salvation Army and other organizations, and so they didn't know where to go. They had a lot of time on their hands because everybody's working, so they all brought their stuff to us. It just got more and more and more and more. Why did we do that? Because part of our church's generosity at the core and money and how you handle resource is how miracles also are handled. They're all put in the same place. God's not a spoil sport. He just wants you to know what's first, what's second, what's third. Put the right thing first, and you'll prosper out of your brain. Right? He'll help you. Maybe not at the beginning. Now, you know, throw your money in. Okay, I haven't seen nothing. No, just be consistent. And if there's any other thing God needs to speak to you, he'll also tell you that. Like, you know, you probably shouldn't go that way anymore. Probably shouldn't do that anymore. Well, I'm so afraid. Don't be afraid. I'll help you. But this thing's a dead end. Or, you know what? That's kind of illegal. I probably would stop doing that. <laughs> you know? Something like that. It's amazing in pain how God suddenly speaks to you <laughs> about your money, right? And about everything else in your life, right? But he doesn't make you or limit you to, to make you be poor. He, he, he does that so he can move 
fully through you. So you can be generous to other people and the kingdom can go out and it gets multiplied more and more and more. I love that saying, more not less. We're about more, not less in every way. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. What does that mean, abundantly? Well, I think you're supposed to be physically healthy. I think he wants you to be financially okay. I think he wants you to be abundantly generous. I think he wants joy in your heart. What good does it do to have a bag of money and be miserable all the time? You should be done with that. Oh my gosh. The tormenting that comes from mishandling wealth is horrible. Because the enemy knows the rules. He knows the rules better than you do. He knows the rules. When you're generous, uh-oh. Oh no, I can't touch that guy. Then he'll make you look like he can. But all of a sudden, it'll reverse. Looks like you lost something. Oh my gosh, you're stumbling around in the dark, you know. Oh my gosh, I better stop giving. No, no, no. Whatever you do, do not stop being generous. Just keep going because God will catch up with you, right? God caught up with the church, the early church. He caught up with them, not only in just physical things. That wasn't the issue, but the holy, delightful, lovely presence of God was there, right? Oh, my goodness. And when you get that in your bottle, oh, it's the most precious. You don't want to lose it. Money's one thing, but... The presence of God with us, that's everything. Right? He does the other stuff. I found it to be quite generous, but oh my gosh. Fighting over buildings and over stuff is just the stupidest thing. I don't know where we get that. I don't know why we do these things. Why? It's because we just don't understand the way things work. We, we wandered away. We thought, well, I could be more powerful. My goodness. Just let's attend to God's stuff and he'll attend to your stuff. Believe me. He's more than generous. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought, brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, well, well, he brought something. I mean, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Anybody ever read that? But he's masquerading. It's not that he could, he could have kept anything he wanted for himself. No problem. But he pretended like he was doing something else. God didn't like that. And how much he didn't like it, ooh, it gets a little scary when you look at this, right? And Peter said to Ananias, how is it Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? You can do whatever you want. God's not a spoils for whatever you want. But what made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to, to a human being, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the Spirit of God? Listen, the feet of the men who were buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about those events. So this is the launching pad of the church. So God was putting the foundations way deep to make sure. So all these people are sacrificing. They're giving everything they got, right? And these guys pretended to do it. Their money was their own. They could say, hey, I would like to give 10% or 20%. That's fine. Just don't pretend there was a lie being told. There was something about that so violated the heart of God that 
The result was that, right? And it didn't need to be that way, right? So, again, this poverty of spirit, this humility. No masks, no play, you know, playing around. It's just raw, lovely humility. God gives grace to what? The humble. So, Philip, if you look at point D on your outline here. Uh, wait, let me just, no, let's just talk about, I want to go to C first. What kind of man was Stephen who died for the sake of the gospel? So here's an interesting thing. All right, again, I'm going to link these two things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble, for there is the kingdom of heaven. All right, so we got this guy named Stephen, right? So, and also, he was set aside along with other disciples to be deacons. They were the ones that were going to take care of uh, the poor, all right? So let's read a verse, uh, ch- chapter 6, verse 3. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you. See, the disciples realize that this is too overwhelming me. And this reason why they had to deal with the poor so much in Jerusalem was because uh, uh, all those people got saved, but they were from other countries. So it was at Pentecost when all those people got saved. So they're all staying in Jerusalem, trying to steer into the action, but nobody had a job, right? So they're trying to figure out what to do with all this, because this is like the headwaters of the church, right? Eventually, they began to find their way home or began to live in Jerusalem or whatever, Brothers and sisters, choose seven among men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. That is the daily distribution, especially of widows and people that um, didn't have any income, right? So they're doing that. And we, will, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Jerusalem. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So what happened is all these out-of-towners came for the Feast of Pentecost. A bunch of them got saved, right? And then they're all there. And so they're away from the normal way they made a living. But this was too amazing. This was the start of the church. So they stayed as long as they could, right? in that environment, and so they needed to take care of them, right? And eventually the church began to differentiate and began to go out into various directions and places and began to spread throughout the whole world. But this was like ground zero. So here's a very interesting thing. So we see one of the guys in there is named Stephen of these, uh, we call them deacons or servants. One was named Stephen, and another one was named Philip. Now that's an interesting thing. All right, now remember this concept. All right, what are these guys doing? They're giving the food out to the poor, right? That's what they're doing, right? Do we do that? Yes. Yeah, a lot. A lot. But I think many of you are aware of it, maybe you're not. But you know that almost all the signs and wonders we see take place in and around our church happen in the tent? Did you hear that? Yes. Huge things. <laughs> Miracles. And they always happen like in an environment where just, hey, I'm well now. What? Well, remember you prayed for me and I had cancer and I went to the doctor and I don't got cancer anymore. Really? Yeah. Well, here, here's the record. If you want to see it, look. Say they, I, they pronounced me cancer-free. You know how many times that's happened out there? I don't know. I lost track at 20. Maybe it's, it's probably more like 50 or 60 now. Right? See, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, all these miracles and lots of things we see, we see under the tent, which I've tried my best to try to figure out how I get the tent in here. You know, I can't, 
I thought maybe physically I'd just set it up, or maybe we'd just do our whole thing in here instead of out there, right? But it's the whole thing. It's the clientele. It's the whole thing. They come, and they're wide open to receive the gospel and prayer. And the people that we meet, right, the homeless people that we deal with, these are the places where the signs and wonders happen. And the giving is part of the signs and wonders because to have people around, you actually provide for them and help them, get them back on their feet. But it's costly, expensive. You spend oodles of money doing it gladly. But the payoff is not only that you get to do this and it's the Lord's will, but we also have a kingdom-set environment around here of signs and wonders. So the two go together. And it's our privilege to have where we give the food away, where we do benevolence all around here and receiving people off the street and giving them homes. It's our privilege. It's hard work. Sometimes it's just so difficult you don't even want to do it anymore. But in there is the seed of the kingdom, the life of the kingdom. It's where all the action, it's where all the movement is. You don't have to feed the poor. You don't have to deal with the weak. You get to. And by the way, there's nothing romantic about it because poor people like you would be if you weren't doing very well financially, you're not always in the best mood. And also sometimes you're so desperate, you got hooked on a bunch of drugs. And you're desperate and you're dying and, and you're out on the street and pardon them if they don't come in like, hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> they don't feel good. They feel bad. And frankly, if they give them a chance, they probably steal stuff. and They do. And all kinds of things. It's messy. The whole thing's messy. What? Ananias, Sapphira... Good standing citizens. I mean, they gave more than I did. They're dead. It's messy. The whole thing's messy. It's kingdom. You're not in charge. God is. God values things that you don't. My mind isn't like your mind. My ways are higher than yours. I do things differently. But that's a very romantic notion until you start doing it. It can be very painful and very hard work. And people aren't acting romantically. <laughs> They're acting like little stinkers. Some of you wondered why we have security around here. Because people steal us blind and running around and there's some characters that really aren't quite sanctified yet. They kind of like God, but they like the devil more. They're just in transition. So, sorry, but in their transition, while we're waiting for them to be kind of nice and good and good character and everything, we got to... We have to have some security around here, so while we're waiting, they're getting better. Right? <laughs> right? So you get near the lion of the tribe of Judah's tent, he will eat you. He will grab you, but in the process, he might have to take one limb at a time until you're finally consumed and in God. Right? So the thing is about this is we see this is the way the kingdom works, right? It's interesting. So... Stephen, this man full of grace, right? Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. What an amazing thing that's. He ends up getting killed a little bit later, right, for his faith. Philip was chosen to minister to the widows as well, right? But also became an evangelist to the Samaritans. Okay, here's the thing. So he goes to Samaria. Now, the disciples even couldn't handle this in the beginning. They're, trying to, they're freaking out a little bit. Because the Samaritans, they're their neighbors. They're like their cousins. And they don't like them because they've polluted and made some kind of aberration in history. And they're like, 
you know, they're kind of religious, but they're not us, and they polluted everything, and they're traitors, actually, right? So nobody liked the Samaritans. So where does God go first with one of his first revivals? To the Samaritans, of course, right? And so Philip, who's ministering to the widows, guess what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. He's doing all this activity, but what? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the rule of God, the authority. He has authority on his life, just like Stephen did. Stephen was having signs and wonders and miracles, and they killed him for it, right, in Jerusalem. Now Philip gets sent out. So what I'm saying to you is those that handle the baggage with regard to the poor, when we commit ourselves as a church to this, also with it should be signs and wonders and great power. I don't do it for signs and wonders and great power, but it sure is a nice little side effect, right? <laughs> a nice little thing that comes out of it, right? And it's, it's true, right? So if you look at these verses, he's chosen, but he also became an evangelist. So he goes to Samaria. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many were... Um, Paralyzed or lame or healed, so there was great joy in that city. Amen. So, what I'm trying to say is this great joy, this thing that Peter or uh, Philip's carrying, is carried in a context, and it's the context of reaching the wider social and practical issues of people's lives. I'm beginning to understand this more and more. I've understood this in the, in the third world for many years, but I'm beginning to realize. At first, as we've begun to move down this pathway of helping the weakest in our culture, which have greatly exa- been exaggerated over the last two decades, listen, we don't have to help them. We get to help them. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know. There's some pretty strange characters roaming around here. Yep. <laughs> Sitting out there, too. Yep. That's true. But the whole thing is one parcel. It's one package. Yes, Here's another thing. How is it that some of the politics of our area, our region, are more concerned about this than we are, the church, right? Now, they may be doing it superficially, not too deep, but at least they're making some room, right? So we, as the church, need to be on the front lines. So we found, as we got on the front lines, we actually are helping people who actually work for the government that do and help people with these issues. We become partners. We become their best friends. We bring people to them, but we are also helping the people along long enough for them to get helped by a government or agencies or whatever. So the good news is there's more help than before, right? And so what we need to do is go, okay, we're going to work with you helping these people, and maybe we can come out with some solutions. So what's what we're doing right now? And by the way, for as dysfunctional and Whatever you think about the California state government, they're giving away a lot of money to the weak. But what we want to do is we want to take the weak and not only help them, but we want to help them mentally and emotionally get back on track, get a job, blah, 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 so they're not currently in that space, right? So we make a great partner. We get them saved, and when Jesus saves them, they become different people. He starts getting to their pocketbook. He gets to their morality. He gets to their marriage. He gets to their family. He hunts you down, doesn't he? He leaves no stone unturned. And if you really walk with Jesus, he cleans you up pretty good, and he'll even return your wealth. I'm going to say that again. He'll even return your wealth. You may have to go down a faith journey for that to happen. You always do. But God 
has something in his kingdom. In missiology, they've been studying this for centuries. It's been in place for centuries. It's part of the Protestant Reformation. And it's part of the prosperity you enjoy today. It's called redemption and lift. God has this way of redeeming people and then lifting them out of their circumstances. This is the history of the world. This describes the history of the United States. Why the United States has prospered as it is. They, they inherited the best of what happened in Europe with regard to Christianity. They brought it here with more freedom and more free enterprise and more godliness and more... That's why it's written on our currency. In God we trust. Right? That's what's happened. Now, if we want to go the other way, we can certainly do that as a country. In some ways, we've done that, right? That's why it's so important for the church to stand in this hour. But guess what? What we stand is, okay, stand politically. I'm all for that. Staying up, saying the right thing at the right time. But if we would be about this business here, we would solve a tremendous amount of problems for our culture. Can you imagine if all the churches turned their attention to the poor all of a sudden and started opening the floodgates and the business in them, all of we start doing this and we start being like the city on the hill that we are. Can you imagine the influence, what the pressure that takes off of the government and the police and every social organization? We can do that. And it seems so big. We always want to go too big. Just start where you are. Just start with the neighbor down the street. Start in your own church. Start in your own neighborhood. And just let the Lord take it and grow it and fill it full of life. And if we get all these people, all of us doing that at the same time, maybe the Lord at this time of chaos is addressing the church in a way that maybe we don't know. Maybe he's challenging us in areas. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It, it means something. It has something to do with how we relate to our culture, the outside world, and how we leaven it, and how we influence it, and how we become a blessing, and how we are the salt and the light of the earth. And by the way, one thing I found, this is such a pleasant thing, God doesn't leave your finances out. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over. You just can't be God. You just can't. His economy is great. You may sow a little bit and sow a little bit, and he hide for a while, but he will catch up with you. Especially when you turn your interest to the weak and the broken. We don't have to do this. We get to do it. It's the greatest privilege in the world. We don't have to. We get to. Last thing, in the recognition of Paul's ministry to the Gentiles, the only thing they added when they're recognizing this ministry that he took out to the whole world, revolutionary, he said, you know what? You should continue to remember the poor, the very thing Paul had been eager to do all along. That's the only thing they added to his gospel. He said, Paul, we love what you're doing, but would you please also remember the poor? I think that's significant, don't you? Paul, I think you should also remember the poor. He was also eager to do that. This is New Testament Christianity. Amen? Let's all stand. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful day. Yeah, this is, this is good stuff. We don't have to do this stuff. We get to. <laughs> if we get past the grind and the grunge and the inconvenience and the weirdo people, is untold blessing. Untold blessing. Blessing, it's whatever way you want to measure it. Measure it with your kids. Measure it with your finances. So what I'd like to do is, um, I always like us to give a chance for God's word to soak in us. I've come to a crossroads in my life 
sometimes in response to messages or sometimes in response to something the Lord is speaking deeply about. And uh, maybe a special sermon or whatever. And I, maybe this might be one of those moments where you just say, you know, I want that in my life. Amen. I want to be that kind of person. Show me how to do that in my own life, in my own circumstance. What's my little world? Yes. One thing that started us down this road with regard to benevolence, I've told you many times, is I, I just couldn't get my mouth around how to get started, especially with the homeless. It was so hard, you know. And then the Lord told me, he gave me a piece of wisdom. He said, just do one. Just do one. And I knew who it was. I thought, God, it's too expensive. How in the world? You know? No, just do it. You've been wanting to do this, so just take care of that one person. Just take care of the one. So actually, the benevolence that we did here started with one person, one very expensive person. <laughs> Couldn't believe I did it. But I, I thought, you know, God, I, I'm not smart enough to know how to do this sort of stuff. The social issues, the crazy issues, the drugs, the, the kind of, I, just, I don't know what to do. I, and, and I don't know how Laguna Niguel is going to receive it. I, I just don't know what, to, I don't know. But I want to, he just told me to do one thing. Take care of that person. And he showed me that it was my seed. Once I planted that seed, and it was an expensive one, at least at the time, then he would help me do the rest. So may the Lord show you just specific seeds, how to get started in your life. What's it, the neighbor down the street? Just a little thing. And then just build on it, right? And get better at it in terms of this whole being poor in spirit and, and, and inherit the kingdom of God. This whole thing. It's interesting, the poor in spirit's related to the poor in the world. So I'm trying to say it's, it's all connected, right? And that's why throughout the whole history of mankind, the church has been the, the, the poor that have got the gospel first because they saw the advantage. They were on zero, and now there's a possibility of God making them into something great. I just believe that uh, what I said about the seed sowed, like what part do I play in this? So I just determined, God, show me what I can do. Then he showed me, and then I took my breath away, and I thought, oh, can you show me another one? <laughs> they kept bugging me about it, so finally I did it. And from that moment forward, slowly, the plan began to evolve, which is where it is now. And some people say, wow, you're doing a lot. Yeah, we weren't always doing a lot, because frankly, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what to do. It's too complicated. These people are weird, and it's, oh, I, don't know how I, I don't even know how that works with church and ordinary people. And I had every question imaginable, still do. Yet, I just saw the plan begin to unfold. The important thing about this unfolding isn't so much for me, it's for you. How do you get started on this road of poverty, poor in spirit, and the amazing blessing of God, the kingdom of God, which, by the way, God's very generous, I found. Right? How do I do that? How do I mix that together in my own life? So maybe some of you would just like to come to the front and work on it. I want to pray for you. If you're in that place and you just want to know what more can I do or what can I do, what is my specific role, what do I step into? Why don't you just come to the front and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to ask God that. What I'm going to do specifically is I'm going to ask God, I'm going to ask God, while you're standing there, maybe it might be a boomerang prayer which may hit you in the back of the head a month from now. I'm going to ask Him to show you what you can do with your time and money, what you can do for the poor and maybe the poor in spirit and how you can walk this out in your everyday life.
for me to walk this further. We've been walking it for some time, but God showed me a specific thing to do. If that's what you would like, maybe you could just start with one little thing that you begin to do in your life. Some time that you volunteer, a seed you sow, something maybe you do for a neighbor. Beware when you come on this road. It's quite a ride. God will take you into places that you didn't dream you could go. But also, if you're faithful, he'll bless you like you can't imagine. Don't ever feel sorry for us for the amount of money we invest in the week. Don't ever. Because I'm telling you, the good measure, pressed down, shaken together, has come to us. It's come. Helping us on every side. Lord, as we stand here, I pray in the name of Jesus for everyone that's willing, everybody that would like to take part in this great adventure I'm talking about. I ask you, Lord, that you would sow a seed, not just now, but Lord, I pray you would sow a seed tomorrow and the next day. God, what's my part? How can I get started? How can I be like a Stephen or a Philip? How can I join this great adventure? Or maybe you've already been on this adventure. Maybe you need to ask God, what else do I do? And could I say something to you? You may be the poorest person in this room. But if you think that you're going to get blessed just by receiving more and more, you're wrong. You know how you get out of any mess? You start being a giver. You start investing in somebody else. And you may only have five cents to invest. You invest that five cents. Because it's the fastest way I know of to be full of the presence of God and at the same time God to dig you out of the hole you're in. You give concern to somebody else and they'll come back on your head. It might not come tomorrow or the next day. Sometimes I've found as I sowed, God gives me a little sign that he's with me. It might take a while for the sign. Matter of fact, after that seed we sowed, I didn't see the result for a year and a half, 18 months. And then I began to see, uh-oh, here it comes. The good measure, here it comes. Okay, and then the Lord began to give us wisdom, movement, I'm just going to give this, I'm going to say this in advance to all of you. So I'm praying here about you that want to invest your life in another person or in some place where you can do a little, right? But I want to also pray one other prayer. I'm going to pray over your life. The good measure, pressed down, shaken together, anointing. It's now resting on our church. And God wants to put in all your lives, in your job, what you do for a living. He wants you to do well so you can do well. He wants you to do well so you can do well. And you can start doing well with others even before you get the other part. Matter of fact, that's generally the way it does. Give comes first and it shall be given to you. I'm going to ask for two things. That God gets you started on the road, that he would give. You learn to do that in a practical way. And that also it shall be given to you. Give and it shall be given to you. The good measure, pressed down, shaken together. So I'm asking today, Lord, that you would take us even farther and higher where we've gone, into the deepest uh, echelons of this culture, in the darkest places, the loneliest places, the worst places. They take us there. Individuals like Philip and Stephen, or all of us together, cooperating together, like the Mercy Warehouse, or like they were doing in Jerusalem, where there was a food distribution center. Wherever it is, wherever it takes us, I speak over you. May the God of glory, the God of the poor and the strong be with you. May God give you revelation about the little thing that you can do, the little seed you can sow. And may God use it to heal your own soul, your own family, your own household. And may God give you more. 
Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. May the Lord pour out the good measure on you. May God anoint you. May God give your joy back to you. May God bring happiness back to you. And security, you can't find it in the world. You can only find it in the things of the kingdom. May joy return to this room. May joy return to your... May you go back to your roots. May you realize uh, where you've been and what God's blessing. Go back to that. Or go, may God start something new. But may the Lord bless you. Fill you with the Spirit. May God equip you. Give you a new idea. A new thought about the neighbor down the street. Maybe a thought about that, that situation down from your home at the school. Or wherever you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord open His treasury to you. Good works and kindness. May he put it back on your head. The good measure, the pressed down, the shaken together. Amen. You guys, just do some business with God here. We're going to do some worship here, all right? Stay as long as you want. Some of us may come along and pray for you a little bit if you're in, inside here. If you'd like to just stay here for a moment. Like this man here. I'm going to pray for him. I see the Spirit of God on you. Glory.